I want to talk tonight about uh, women in Buddhism. It's a big topic, but um, I, the reason I want to do it is a couple of reasons. Excuse me. It's March, so it's Women's History Month. And the other day was uh, March 8th, which is International Women's Day. And last week, week and a half ago, or actually two weeks ago now, um, we were, we were uh, up at uh, a retreat, our annual women's retreat. And during the course of the retreat in one of um, my uh, co-teacher, colleague, sister... Uh, talk, Sydney mentioned, um, she mentioned some women that are, have huge roles to play in various places, um, including in Buddhist teachers, but we may never have heard of. And so it's, it's A, um, helpful to lift those names up. It's helpful to see how perhaps even, um, in this, and what I was thinking about this idea of Buddhism sometimes, at least maybe in my, um, my biased mind, sometimes Buddhism has this idea of being, oh my gosh, it's just, it's just so open, it's just so um, welcoming, it's just all these things, and it's almost like it's not impacted by the world in which it exists. You know, these, the patriarchy and misogyny and, and racism and all those things don't have an impact in Buddhism because it's like, ah, um, it's not true. It's not true. And so to, to recognize those things and uh, to recognize that impact is really important, I think. And one of the people that, um, and, and another important thing to remember is, you know, history is written by the people in power. History is written by the people who have want you to understand a certain storyline. Whether it's true or not is a totally different matter. And so it's important to recognize that just because you read it on the internet or read it in a book doesn't mean it's true. You know, I um, I saw I recently saw or read something. I think it was an old movie or maybe an old book. Something that, you know, talking about the settlers as they moved across the country and they they got to you know these lands and it's like yay, it's ours. We can, and they didn't mention Native Americans at all. It's as if they didn't exist. They and they didn't exist for a really long time. They were a nuisance that needed to be taken care of. And that's how, if you read these old history books and you see these old movies and, and this old stuff, that's what the, that's what the storyline was. And now, we, you know, I saw some cringing, but because the people in power wrote that and they had a particular agenda. And so to see how sometimes that agenda flows through Buddhism as well, and because it's women's history, and I want and we, I was just on this retreat, I wanted to touch on this because I think it's very interesting, and not a lot of people know this history. Um, Sydney was mentioning the names of a few people, and one of the people she mentioned was Sister Chan Kong. I'm not sure if any of you know who she is or recognize that name. She is actually, um, she was the first fully ordained monastic disciple of Thich Nhat Hanh. 
and way back in the 50s. And she was kind of walking step by step with him from the 50s or the 60s and 70s. She's still alive, in fact. In fact, I think she's like in her mid-late 80s, and she's still going strong. But she was um, director of his humanitarian projects. She organized the Buddhist peace delegation at the, at the Paris peace talks in the late 60s. Um, she worked, uh, you know, after the Vietnam War, she helped to get um, sponsorship for 14,000 orphans in Vietnam. Um, she helped Thich Nhat Hanh establish Plum Village Monastery in France. I mean, I think I'd heard of her, but I didn't know her name. We know Thich Nhat Hanh really well, but we don't know her name yet. She was really just as vitally important as he was in this in this work that we do. So that's that's what we see. Um, it, it, Sydney mentioned the movie Hidden Figures, which is about the women who were the African American women who were instrumental in the early days of space. They were mathematicians. That's when everything was done by hand and slide rules and those old you know those old analog machines. And they really had a huge impact. But until the movie came out, very few people knew they existed because they were not important enough. They, did, they weren't the, the primary narrative, which is white men or men. Um, so, you know, women's history is a race just as black history, indigenous history, um, LGBTQ history. All those histories, you know, la la la, you know, all the people that don't fit this particular um, uh, model. Um, I even I I was thinking about this. I saw somebody posted uh, something the other day that said, if you think about it, Africa has no history. I mean, and some people just think Africa is a country. I mean, because there's been so much erasure, and Africa didn't kind of exist basically until colonial powers showed up. And um, even then, they were unwilling to give credit to the accomplishments of the of the people who lived in the various parts of Africa. It's not just one size fits all. And um, I was thinking when I was in grad school a number of years ago, forty years ago, to be precise. Um, I was studying uh, African archaeology, and there's this, in Zimbabwe, um, there's this great wall enclosure that even then, in the 70s, there were arguments in scholarly journals that Native people, Africans, could not have built this because it was so well, it was such an, an amazing structure. I mean, people are more willing to think extraterrestrials built these things than, than anything that's outside the picture of people who are capable. And at that point, it was pretty much Western, white, Christian. Um, so anyway, so as I'm thinking about Buddhism, um, the first, how many know the name Mahapajapati? No, shaking of heads. This Mahapajapati was the Buddha's aunt, his stepmother, because the Buddha's mother died um, when he was young. His father, as was the custom of the time, married his, his, uh, his late wife's sister. So Siddhartha Gautama was raised by his aunt, his stepmother. Um, and 
after the Buddha Siddhartha um, achieved enlightenment, she listened to one of his teachings and gained stream entry, which is means you're on the you're on the path to enlightenment. And then after her husband died, she wanted to take the robes and become a monastic. And she asked to join the order three times, and he refused her, but she wasn't going to be discouraged. And so she got, she and 500 other uh, women, 500 is a number that's very often used in the suttas, that just means a whole lot. doesn't necessarily mean exactly 500, but that's a very common number that's used. So she and 500, 500 other ladies of the Sakyan tribe shaved their heads, put the robes on, and walked barefoot miles and miles and miles to where the Buddha was um, um, staying. And Ananda, who is the Buddha's disciple, um, saw what they had done, was really impressed, really inspired, and he approached the Buddha on their behalf and said, can't they be ordained? But again, Buddha refused um, to uh, ordain them. And so then Ananda asked the Buddha, and this is a huge question, huge question. He said, can women attain enlightenment too? And the Buddha said, yes. And that was a radical departure from anything that had gone on before because in Hinduism, which was, which was very predominant, and other religions, women, not so much. That was a really crappy birth and you, you can't achieve enlightenment, and hopefully you have a better rebirth so you can get to enlightenment. So the Buddha said, absolutely women can achieve enlightenment. So that opened the doors. At that point, he said, okay. And he allowed um, Mahapajapati to form uh, uh, the, 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 um, the order of nuns. In the word in Pali for monk is bhikkhu, for nun is bhikkhuni, so I'm going to use those words, um, probably talk about bhikkhunis. Um, however, it's said that in order to become uh, ordained, they had to, the women had to agree to nine strict rules, some of which were this is good. A nun who is ordained even for a century must greet respectfully, rise up from her seat, salute with joined palms, and do proper homage to a monk who is ordained just a day. So you could be, and, and that still goes on. Um, monks can get in front of nuns in the food line at monasteries and stuff. They, they still have that, that, uh, preeminence. Um, nuns cannot dis, um, discipline monks who who um, uh, do something wrong, but monks can admonish nuns. And so there's this disparity. Um, but what's interesting is linguistic scholars have said, you know what, this looks like a later addition which what is is what happens. People are copying the text, copying the text, and rules change, points of view change, and they say, you know what, we need to, we need to put this in here because it doesn't, it's not um, uh, consistent with the teachings of the Buddha, these things. Yeah, you can, but. 
So it's interesting, and you see that you see that across the board in in religious um, um, scriptures throughout the world. You see it in in Catholicism, where women used to be able to be priests, and then somewhere along the line they said, "Nah, they can't be priests." Well, priests used to be able to be married, and then somewhere along the line they said, "Nah, they can't be." But the way it's taught, it's like always and forever. <laughs> This is the rule. And if you actually investigate, you see, maybe not so much. Um, however, there is a, a code of conduct for precepts for nun, nuns and monks. M monks have 227 rules they have to follow. Nuns have 311. So even in the, even in the Pali Canon, it's, it's, um, it's kind of codified that women have a lot more hoops to jump through than men do. Um, and, and I'm going to just talk about um, this one lineage, Theravada, which is the lineage of the elders, which is the lineage in which I practice um, the early Buddhist, um, uh, who follow the early Buddhist teachings. It's said that um, there lineage, the, the handing down of the ordination from one generation of nuns to the next died out somewhere. I can't remember um, when it was, but the nuns in Ther Theravadan nuns have not been able to have full ordination for centuries. Um, and recently, over the last few decades, nuns have really sought out full ordination. They, they do the same training, they study the same text, they live the same way, they follow the, the precepts, but they're told, you know what, no, you can't, you can't be fully ordained. Um, so you're not equal, you're still a second-class citizen. Tibetan nuns don't have full ordination either. Um, and so there's been some pushback over the last few decades um, and some, some places have allowed women to be fully ordained. In fact, there's been a lot of research on this, and Bhikkhu Analio, who many of you have heard me mention, who's a great, great scholar who reads Chinese, he reads Pali, he reads Sanskrit, he actually wrote a treatise on this called The Legality of Bhikkhuni Ordination, saying actually nuns can be fully ordained. And and he 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 pointed to, he looked at all the, the questions as to why not and said, nah, that doesn't really hold water. So if you're going to go by the strict um, rules or the, the tradition set down, they can be ordained. But there's still a lot of pushback. In Sri Lanka, women can be ordained, but it's been a hard fight. Um, in Burma, it's illegal. It was illegal in Thailand. It was against the law. In fact, there were two nuns from Burma who were ordained, I think, in Sri Lanka, one of whom started a monastery out here in Joshua Tree in Southern California in 29 Palms out in the desert. And the the, um, it's a small little vihara. It's called uh, Mahapajapati after the first nun. Um, she was ordained in Burma, and then another one that was, well, she was Burmese and ordained somewhere else, and then the other woman that was ordained went back to Burma to visit her father when he was dying, and she was thrown in jail for impersonating a monk. I mean, you can be jailed for daring to take ordination, and 
um, one of the monks who did ordain them was excommunicated from the Ajahn Chah lineage for daring to break these rules. So it's really kind of nasty what's going on. And in fact, um, Tanisara, who is a teacher, she and her husband, um, Kirisaro, have a, have a, they're, they're teachers all, they teach all over the world, but they, they're based in South Africa. She wrote a book called Time to Stand Up, an engaged Buddhist manifesto for our earth. And she was a nun. She was a, 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 a Theravadan nun. And she left the order, um, I think, after like 15 years. But she was still very close to a lot of the nuns. And some of the nuns in the United Kingdom at Chithurst Monastery and Amravati Monastery in the Ajahn Chah lineage really spent a lot of time like investigating this this ordination and they pushed back and said you know we'd really we'd really like to have this conversation about full ordination and seeing how we can move forward because we're tired of being second class citizens we're tired of having doing all the same work teaching you know studying everything the same and being told yeah sorry um back of the bus and they went and they were um the reaction of the monks was extraordinary. It was horrific. They, the monks created this five-point plan that the nuns had to abide by, and you must do this. I mean, it took those, those strict rules that, you know, like if, if you've been ordained 100 years and some, you know, 12-year-old monk comes up and says, I'm in charge, you have to, you know, let him take over uh, type of thing. And it was such a, a vicious, um, crazy pushback that a lot of the nuns left, a lot of the nuns disrobed. In fact, you see some, and, and I'm talking 2011, okay, folks? We're not talking like, we're talking this century. It just happened recently. In fact, I know some of the nuns who left. Um, there, some of them are here in California. Some of them are in other parts of the States, and they're trying to start their own little uh, monasteries and they have been ordained by other and now nuns and women are being or fully gaining full ordination in other places as I mentioned Bhikkhu Analio has um, uh, uh, given this his full blessing Bhikkhu Bodhi, Ajahn Brahm and a lot of other teachers around the country it was Ajahn Sumedho who is really wise and who I really have learned a lot from was the monk who pushed back and said, no, never. And Ajahn Tanjef, Tanisaro Bhikkhu, down here in San Diego, who I really like, um, I've learned a lot from him, he is also, no, never, this can't happen. And what this does for me is makes me reflect that even if somebody is quite wise, and has a lot of wisdom in some ways, they can also be blind in other ways. They can, they can be caught up in these habits of mind, these implicit biases, without seeing them, being trapped in these really congealed viewpoints. And that's what the Buddha told us to be cautious of, 
these 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 um, uh, these views, these hard and fast views. In fact, views are some of the things that start to go away when we move into stream entry, when we move into um, the path towards liberation and freedom. Is like these strict viewpoints drop away, and so. I think it's really important that if we find ourselves in this place of causing harm and not and being so rigid, if you're in a place that's so rigid, that should be your first clue. Because when you're in this place of retaliation, you're retaliating. You're in a place of constriction. You're in a place of tightness. You're in a place of ah, anger. That should be a clue that maybe... This is worth some reflection. Maybe my Kalyanamita, my, my uh, cohort of wise friends, spiritual friends who's saying, you know, you might want to take another look at this. Instead of shutting them down, listen. It's this beginner's mind that's so important that we're not seeing in this. And this is because this patriarchy was huge in the time of the Buddha. It's been huge in a lot of these countries where Buddhism has, Buddhism has landed. Buddhism has landed in a lot of countries and been impacted by the culture of those countries, which is, I think, why you see so many different flavors of Buddhism around the world. You have Tibetan, you have um, um, the Zen, you have, you know, all all the different kinds of flavors. Um, there's a question somebody just asked in the chat, is that a form of spiritual bypassing? I don't think it's a form of spiritual bypassing. I think it's just a form of delusion. It's a form of thinking you know what's right, whereas bypassing is more of uh, using the teachings to say, oh, no, this is impermanent. Oh, no, this is... And, and thinking you're, you're doing... Um, what you're supposed to be doing rather than just not even looking at it, saying, no, no, this is the way it is. This is the way it always should be. This is, you know, thus and ever shall it be, or whatever phrase you want to use. So, so um, that is, um, I think, really important to see because, again, like people have this idea that, oh, Buddhists are great. And it's like, yeah, they're also committing genocide in... <laughs> in um, where is it, in, in Burma, um, against uh, Rohingya people. So, and it happens. It's, it's people, people are involved. Just because you do something doesn't, just because you wear a certain type of dress or you read certain things or you practice certain things, it doesn't mean anything. It's like the Buddha, and the Buddha said, I think it's really important, don't do it just because I say it see what leads away from suffering and towards liberation, not towards suffering and towards causing harm. So the Buddha's words have been, you know, just as so many teachers, great wise teachers' words have been um, uh, taken out of context and used in ways that they had never intended. We see it in our own life, you know, with Martin Luther King, he'd probably be going, what are you even saying I mean, you know? 
or, or Christians um, taking all kinds of things out of context and, and bending them and making them fit. It's like stuffing, you know, round peg, square hole. It's, it goes above and beyond that. It's just like stuffing things and it's going to make it fit. There's a saying that my technician friends used to have that said, pound to fit, paint to match. I'm going to pound it in and paint it over so you're not even going to notice it and accept it's like all broken. That's what this is. And I want to also point out that there's an abundance of, of wisdom. There's abundance of joy, abundance of important things to remember about women in Buddhism despite the relentless misogyny. And, um, and there are um, some beautiful poems in the Pali Canon, written by the first enlightened nuns, the Terigata, and that's that's what it's called. Um, and there there's a number of collections. One of them is called the First Buddhist Women, uh, which is translations of some of the poems. And there's another book called the First Free Women, which is not a translation of the poems, but a, a kind of a reimagining of them. And I just want to read. Uh, read one of these, which is really, really so sweet. And it was written by a nun called Upasama, which means calm. And it says, how do you cross the flood? You cross calmly, one step at a time, feeling for stones. How do you cross the flood, my heart? You cross calmly, one step at a time, or not at all. So just as you cross the river, you cross the difficulties in your heart, one step at a time. So there's some great wisdom, some beautiful um, stuff that exists that we don't often hear about, and so it's worthy of investigation. There's the great teacher of the last century, Deepa Ma, this Indian wise woman who uh, is a tremendous practitioner um, really wise. There's, uh, you know, a friend of mine who's a nun, Ayavimala. She is, uh, they, they're non-binary and they are Belgian and they founded a monastery in Belgium a few years ago. Um, there's a lot of nuns in the States, you know, so support the nuns, sit with the nuns. They're, they're teaching at Spirit Rock. They're teaching at, um, IMS, you can sit with them online. Um, there's some great wisdom that's there that I think is worthy. Again, as with anything, it's a different point of view. And they, they um, have beautiful things to share. Um, so as with anything that's hidden, it, it needs to be sought out, but the riches are available that are amazing, so don't miss it. And as with anything, question. You know, don't take everything for granted. There's the, the phrase grown, when I was growing up, question authority. Question, who's saying this and, and who is it serving? And is this really true? Is this really true? That delusion is so easy. We just go with the flow and to be... Buddhism invites us to find some discernment. What's, what's, that's why beginner's mind is so important. What is this? What is this? 
what is this? And this inquiry that goes deeper and deeper and deeper, rooting out the truth in, in things is, is vital to this practice. And, and so that is, um, that's what you have to do even with this. And thank you for, thank you for your attention. And I hope this was helpful. I think a lot of times we don't, don't know some of the details of, of Buddhist history. Um, we, we know the suttas and are familiar with the teachings, but this other stuff is also incredibly important. And, and so, the, again, this is pretty much primarily in the Theravada arena. Tibetan nuns are not um, fully ordained, although that's, again, shifting. And then the Zen, there are Zen priests, female priests, um, uh, men and women are, have some equality, although... Zen tends to list all their, you know, all the, the uh, I don't want to say hierarchy, but the, the, the ancestors, the lineages, and they were predominantly male, and now they're going, oh yeah, we got to bring the women's names in there. So even some that's more egalitarian, they, they also have this bias, because it's built in. If you don't question it, you don't, if you don't question it, you don't see it and you just keep along going that way. So always pay attention. So thank you. Thank you, my friends, again, as always for your, your kind attention. And I hope this has been um, of some benefit or help. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.